Welcome to Everything STEAM. I'm your host, Sam Stanford. As a physicist and structural engineer in training with Jacobs Engineering, I've made many connections with some bright individuals who are either working, studying, or self-taught and passionate about our particular topics of discussion. This episode is a special episode of Everything STEAM in celebration of Black History Month. We wanted to recognize the heroes that have pushed the boundaries in diversity, leadership, and innovation. Some of these heroes include Lonnie Johnson, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Frederick McKinley Jones, and Katherine Johnson. As you well know, these people have inspired and will continue to inspire many to pursue their dreams in STEAM. Later in the episode, my guest stars and I discuss why diversity in STEAM is very important in the pursuit of equity and equality in our society at large, involving real-world examples that emphasize why leadership rules and inclusion is vital to providing an end product that benefits everyone. So speaking of my guest stars, first meet Jared Green. Jared has a BS in civil engineering from Syracuse University and an MS in civil engineering with a geotechnical focus from the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. Jared is a geotechnical engineer with extensive experience in complex geotechnical projects throughout the New York metropolitan area and Philadelphia. He manages multidiscipline projects that include the monitoring of geotechnical instrumentation, analysis, design, and construction inspection. In 2019, he was inducted into the Academy of Geoprofessionals as a diplomat of geotechnical engineering. He is one of the youngest engineers in the world to have received this certification. And of course, he was selected as one of the 2021 Crane's New York Notable Black Leaders and Executives. For involvement, he serves on several industry and nonprofit boards and communities while actively serving on the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Corporate Committee for Langen, as well as the DE plus I Corporate Liaison to the Black Professionals at Langen Employee Resource Group. Our second guest is Dr. Nosakari Griffin L. Dr. Griffin L. completed his undergraduate degree in history at Lincoln University in Pennsylvania. He also holds a PhD in Administrative and Policy Studies from the University of Pittsburgh School of Education. After graduating, he spent four years as a lecturer of inclusive innovation and entrepreneurship at the University of Cape Town Graduate School of Business. Nosakari is the co-founder of the Young Dreamers Bookstore, and in April 2018, he co-founded the Dreamocracy Learning Lab, which is an innovative literacy organization that connects dreaming to reading. Through his community-based literacy work, Nosakari received 90 Communities 90 Great Stories Award from WESA 90.5, which is Pittsburgh's local NPR radio station. Dr. Griffinell is regarded as an early childhood literacy expert, children's book expert, community advocate, and thought leader in literacy innovation. Okay, now that you've been introduced to the topic of this episode and our fantastic guest stars, we are stepping into our first commercial break. But stay tuned because when we come back, you'll get a feel for why we celebrate Black History Month and learn about some of the people who push the boundaries for the benefit of society. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to this special episode in celebration of Black History Month. First and foremost, I want to welcome Jared and Nosakari to the show. Thank you both so much for hopping on to chat. Ah, thanks for having us, man. Pretty cool to be here. Yes, sir. <laughs> so this first segment will be centered upon examples of people who push the boundaries in leadership, diversity, and innovation, as well as their inventions that act as staples throughout society in celebration of Black History Month. But before we get started, I wanted to ask Jared and Nosakari. What made you interested in joining me for this particular podcast, and how do you celebrate this month? Yeah, as you stated earlier, my name is Dr. Nosakari Griffinell, and it's a great opportunity to talk about the different roles that uh, African Americans, people of African descent, whether in the Caribbean or the African continent or any other part of the world, has played in shaping world history. So I, I love this opportunity. How I particularly celebrate it is I celebrate Black History Month as a month of agency. In many cases, when we talk about Black History Month, we want to start off with uh, the enslavement experience that Black folks had in America. However, I like to start Black History Month from a historical perspective where we talk about the roles that people of African descent, specifically Africans in ancient history, played in shaping world civilization. When we talk about what Black history means within an American context, 
I like to talk about it specifically as it relates to Black people's agency. So not just us struggling to get our basic human needs met, but what did we do to solve problems in our community, in our society, in our world? And as a father of two young boys of Nigerian, uh, Barbadian, or as we say, Bayesian, you know, they're all mixed in there. And I grew up in Philadelphia too. You know, I like to show them examples of people who actually built things. I like to sh read books to them about, you know, people who might have focused on STEM, but they also uh, realized that their STEM education could be used to make the world a better place. So I celebrate it from the perspective of a father, which is that of exposing my sons to books, to leaders who have made the world better. And just as a, a, a last thing, you know, I also talk about, you know, Uncle Jared over there too, <laughs> you know, because, you know, Black history isn't just the big names that we know or the big creations. Sometimes it's, you know, uh, uh, people who live others might seem as normal lives they actually do extraordinary things like my son wants to be an engineer like his uncle jared <laughs> and so <laughs> i told him one day i said you know uncle jared's an engineer he said uncle jared with the the fist bump and i was like yes the handshake that, yes he is an engineer wow like i want to be like uncle jared and so that is history because going back to it it's like you know it's agency it's uncle jared being a normal person yet doing extraordinary things at his workplace. So that's my, that's how I celebrate. I, I, I drop your name all the time, Uncle Jared. I do the same for you, man. I do the same for you. And they'd say, what does a PhD look like? I'm like, that's what a PhD <laughs> looks like. And I appreciate the shout out. And you know, yeah, Black History Month, it's interesting as, as an African-American man, right? Uh, as a husband, as a father, we have, we have three children, two boys and a girl. You know, it, it's a time for me to talk about what is happening and, and, mm. and what the future looks like for them. So we do spend, you know, a good amount of time kind of echoing some of the things that they're hearing in school where they're talking about some of the great minds of the past. But we do try to focus in on what's happening now. And, and to your point of agency, Doc, I, I'm surprised that sometimes people don't see the opportunity they have with this month. I was talking to um, a young person very recently that African-American teenager and he's in school right now. And during this time, because of the way the semester starts or the market period starts and they're doing American history, they're going through slavery right now. And I'm like, of all the times to learn about slavery, why in the world would you have that coincide with black history month? Right. It's a missed opportunity. Could be that they just didn't see, but this is the time that we should be focusing in on what have people of color done exactly. for the nation, for the world? What are we doing now? And I think that um, the creation of the month was so that we would not forget, right? But to be going through slavery at this time, I was like, wow, that's a missed opportunity. So I, I try to yeah. use it, my family, we try to use it as a time where we talk about and we celebrate uh, the things that we have done, the things that we are doing, uh, the progress that has been made, but the progress that still needs to be made. And unfortunately, I, we do live in a society where, you know, unconscious bias surrounds us, right? And we live in a society where a lot of times the media paints right. a certain picture. There was a TED talk a little while ago, I talked about this concept of the single story. And it's like, if you've only heard this single story about a type of people or a group of people, then when you meet somebody from that group, you automatically are thinking, right, this is what they are like. I, too, was raised in Southwest Philadelphia, and it's funny that we're, like, <laughs> right. around the corner from one another, right? And, um, you know, I didn't grow up knowing any engineers. I learned about engineering when I got to college, and I had no idea what a civil engineer was until my freshman year of college. And because of that, I try my best to talk to young people early to let them know what engineers do, what is STEAM. I talk about it early and often because I want to make sure that they know that they can do this. And... You know, so you talk about Black History Month. I'm a part of an employee resource group that we started uh, a year ago. And like for Black History Month, we use this time to really get into schools and show young people what engineers and scientists look like. And a lot of these young people are glad to see that they see people that look like themselves. And I think that inclusion is important. I think that representation is important because if you don't see somebody that looks like you, 
you're limited in what you can aspire towards. And the reality is that there's so many opportunities within STEAM, science, technology, engineering, art, and mathematics. And it's really, there's something for everyone. But oftentimes, you know, when you're a school-age child, if you don't have that teacher that you're looking up to or, or that mentor that says, I believe in you, as soon as you hit a roadblock, it's easy to say, you know what, maybe this is not for me. And when you say it's not for me, that limits where you're able to go. And that's, uh, it's unfortunate because when you think about all the opportunities within STEAM, it's unfortunate that you have whole swaths or whole groups of people that aren't here because they don't know that they can be or they don't know that it exists. So those are some of the things that come to mind. But, but Black History Month is definitely a, a very important time for me and for my family. And we try to believe that Black History Month is all 12 months of the year. But you know, there's just a special, it's a special emphasis in February. And history is something that occurs in time. So history could be the past, but history could be being made right now at this present moment. So we really try to make sure that our, our young people know that we expect greatness from them because greatness is in them. And another thing, I know I'm, I'm going on a little bit, but another thing that we try to do is we always try to remind our, our children of where they've come from. So what does that lineage look like? My wife is of Jamaican descent. I'm from Af- African-American descent. And we talk about, you know, where their ancestors came from and, and what types of things they were doing and what types of things they had to overcome, what types of things they accomplished, and what type of sacrifices they made so that we would be able to do more. I often will lead by talking about how my grandfather was a sharecropper at the age of seven in South Carolina. And so that means that we're not very far away from that time and that era. So if we're not very far away from that time and that era, that means that the mindsets have not been fully re-educated across the nation and across the world. So we still have work to do as it relates to inclusion and things of that sort. But I think that Black History Month is a, it's a wonderful time to talk. And so to be on a podcast and talk about that, I said, yeah, sure. Let's, uh, let's see how it goes. <laughs> I absolutely agree with both of you. Those are wonderful points. And I really hope to inspire whoever is listening here with examples of people who faced all odds and came out a success because we're celebrating that this month to show that anything is possible and that STEAM, like you said, is for everyone. If you want to be a scientist, be a scientist. If you want to be a doctor, be a doctor. Don't let anybody stop you. Set high standards and chase your dreams. So let's discuss some people that you think really pushed the boundaries of leadership and diversity. Nosakari, would you mind starting? Sure. One of the things that I love about uh, STEM in particular, people who have invented things, is that they are attempting to solve a problem. So one of the people who goes under the radar is this lady by the name of uh, Sarah Good. She was a furniture store owner in Chicago. And what happened is that she had a bunch of people come to her asking her if she could design beds that would fit in their homes because they're in Chicago. It's the great migration. Uh, You have multi-generational households. And so this lady came up with an invention that what they call a rolling desk. And so she basically made a bed out of a desk. And to me, that's amazing because it, very specifically solved a problem that people who were coming to her needed to be solved. Another person who I love is this lady by the name of Shirley Jackson. Now, you might not remember, and I know Jared does, but when we were young, Caller ID came out. You remember that? (laughs) Oh, man, like, Caller ID was the savior. You know, I wasn't a good student. So when I would see my my teacher's last name pop up on my Caller ID, I'm like, oh, ain't answering that one. (laughs) Or pick up the phone and hang up real fast. (laughs) But a lady by the name of Dr. Shirley Jackson from MIT, she did research on telecommunications. And eventually that research turned into what we know today as Caller ID. Also, It solved a very particular problem. Of course, like I said earlier, it solved my problem. (laughs) But it solved another problem. When businesses would get phone calls from customers who needed a problem solved, they can look at the customer's name, pull up their file as they were speaking to them. 
versus back in the day, you might say, uh, what's your name again? Can you spell that? And then they're looking, they're spelling your name, and oh, can't find it. It, it, it. You know, somebody might have misspelled, but whatever. So it solved the business problem, and it also solved the personal problem in that people were able to look at their caller ID and understand whether this call was from work, whether this was a bill collector, or like I said, it was a person that you didn't want to speak to. This is, to me, quintessential of what Black History Month means when we talk about it from a perspective of agency. A person sees a problem, they create an invention, and eventually that invention solves the problem. Now, of course, you have different iterations, like Sarah Good had to go through different iterations of designing this rolling desk bed so that it would actually meet the needs of her customer. Uh, Shirley Jackson, I'm pretty sure, had to go through different iterations because, of course, that's what research lets us know. You know, we do one thing, we test it out, it doesn't work, and then we have to iterate. And so these are some of the people who I see as STEM leaders. These are some of the people that I have exposed my my sons to. And just real quick, because I know we spoke before about Katherine Johnson. Now, her story, of course, is reflected in Hidden Figures. But I just want to just take you back before she became the great a mathematician, STEM hero that we know, Katherine Johnson's father, when they would walk down the street, he would say, you know, count how many cars you see, count how many leaves you see, count this, count that. And eventually those small things led to her developing a love of numbers, which led to her wanting to be a mathematician. So as parents, you know, we have the power to create environments even if the environment isn't something that has been created with our hands. Like I have across the hall, we got like a home library. There's nothing but books in that room. I can create that. But when we're outside, I also can create the environment based upon the, what we see uh, 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 naturally occurring. And so Katherine Johnson's father asked her to constantly count. And that led her to want to become what? A mathematician. So, you know, when I think about leaders, leaders, going back to what I said about my good brother, Jared, leaders and famous people don't become famous because they all of a sudden come up with an idea. They're ordinary people who do extraordinary things and they solve basic problems that we all, you know, encounter. You beat me to the punch. I was going to talk about Katherine Johnson, too. (laughs) I'm an absolute NASA fan. And at the time, whenever she was brought on at Langley, she was a computer before computers were a thing. And meaning that, you know, she had to do everything by hand, everything across the board. I mean, right. What what an amazing human being. She worked uh, very close with the NASA engineers, specifically after Sputnik was put into orbit in 1957. And from there, she kind of moved into meetings. And because of her mathematical ability and her drive to always answer questions and answer them to the best of her ability, she moved up the ladder super fast. And she was working on literally the pioneer missions of NASA in the late 50s and well, all the way through the Apollo missions. She worked with NASA for 33 years, carrying out Notably, the Mercury missions, such as John Glenn's orbital mission in 1962, and then also all of the Apollo missions. Whenever you had a lunar module sync with the orbiter command command module, she was there calculating trajectories. And just an example of someone amidst all the prejudice of being African-American and female at the time frame of the civil rights movement and continued to excel and move up the ladder in her field is just unbelievable. I mean, she's a beautiful sentiment for anybody who wants to, you know, look at her story. And she still and will continue to inspire people. Yeah, it's just amazing. There's, you know, so many stories of excellence. And I, I, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that you know, something near and dear to me when I think about the relationship that I have with this brother here, Dr. Nokashir. We grew up in the same neighborhood around the same time, but we just met you know, a little over a decade ago. And it's because our wives, right? His wife is a, is a PhD and professor. My wife is a physician. They were best friends at Yale, right? And so because they got married and we got to know each other, we come to find out we have a lot in common, right? And so it's just wild to be having a conversation with my brother here. And it's like, and we're tied together because of Black excellence, right? And I think it's important because I, I can remember growing up, it's like, 
people say, oh, you did a great job. Oh, you did a great job. But like, it's important to know that we're not exceptions to the rule, right? We have a network of people that are doing some amazing things. And I always try to make sure that I, that I acknowledge that, you know, we're, we're not some anomaly, right? We do great things. It's just that sometimes people don't talk about it, right? You don't get to talk about it. But um, wow, when you start thinking about like, you know, steam kind of heroes or people I look up to or people I'm inspired by, the list really grows and it depends on what mood I'm in. Like, what am I thinking of? Am I, am I leaning towards the arts and looking at like, you know, the Alvin Ailey dance troupe or am I leaning more towards like scientists and inventing things? As an engineer, I probably would be remiss if I didn't say something about like Benjamin Banneker, right? He was an African-American naturalist, a mathematician, an astronomer, uh, almanac author, a landowner, and also a surveyor and a farmer. And it's just like, wow, like that sounds like multiple lifetimes, right? And that was in like the 1700s, right? And you think about what America looked like in the 1700s. I can't really complain about the challenges that I had last week. I think about, I'm a part of a, a fraternity, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, and two of our founders, they had careers that were that resonated with me. Uh, George Biddle Kelly was the first African-American engineer that was registered in the state of New York. And when I think about like, as I think about as a civil engineer now, when I got, you know, registered and as have my license to, you know, be an engineer in New York, like what did that mean for me? Right. And I'm thinking about what that was like in the 1900s. Vertna went to Tandy, another one of our founders, or Jules as we call them. Mm. He became the first African-American to pass the military commissioning exam in World War I. And he was also the first African-American that was registered as an architect in the state of New York. So it's like when you see these first, and again, I have to use my imagination to think, well, what was it like in 1900 when you were taking that exam? What was it like in 1900 when you showed up to take that exam as a black man, right? And people, you know, are you the help or are you, why, why are you here? Are you here to take this test? Are you going to be able to take this test, right? I think about as another uh, space enthusiast, I think about Erwin McNair. He was an American, an African-American NASA astronaut and physicist. And you think about the, the challenges that, that he had, right? And he did, uh, unfortunately, perish during the launch of the, the space shuttle uh, Challenger. And I remember that moment as a young person. And I remember seeing that. And I remember I went to be an astronaut and seeing that. And I was so sad. I, I was so sad. You had this diverse group of teachers and scientists that were getting ready to go to space. And, and that unfortunate incident happened. And many, many years later in my life, I heard that name again, Ronald E. McNair. And the Ronald E. McNair Scholars Program was something that I applied for it and got into. And that really positioned me for going on to graduate studies after finishing at Syracuse. And um, it was pretty cool. I was talking about that on LinkedIn and heard something from one of Dr. McNair's uh, family members. And it was just for me, it's like a full circle moment that even social media could bring you together with one of your, your heroes, right? That has impacted you so greatly to Dr. Nokasher's point of uh, just seeing Black history around us every day. And I remember um, reading about Mae Jameson you know, and seeing her in my little books and things of that sort. She was an African-American engineer, physician, and also a former uh, NASA astronaut. And she became the first black woman to travel into space when she served on part of a mission. And I remember I was at a conference for the Deep Foundations Institute, and they said our keynote speaker is going to be Dr. May Carol Jameson. I almost passed out. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I got to be there. So I was at the conference, and I remember hearing her speak, and she was talking about, you know, all types of things, right? She's talking about space. She's talking about engineering. She's talking about what we do. She was able to talk about what she was doing in space and tying that all the way back to what we do as geotechs. I was like, the woman's brilliant, right? But I got to kind of just, you know, 30 seconds talking to her afterwards and shaking her hand. And I just said that I want you to know that what you did inspired me to continue in education and in my education in engineering. And, and I think it's important for people to know that when you are making sacrifices to further your education or do something for society, there are other people that are watching you. There are other people that are depending on you to solve the problems. I was talking with some folks last night. Uh, we we're talking about what it means to be an engineer and what it means to serve society. And it's like, it's more than just doing the homework problem and getting the problem correct to get a hundred on the test. It's like, people are depending on you for public safety. People are depending on you. So you have to 
uh, make sure that you're doing things right for the good of humanity. And I think that when we're talking about math and calculus and differential equations and fluid mechanics, I don't know that we make it sound all that cool sometimes, right? <laughs> and I think that that sometimes turns people off from STEAM, you know? So I think that, you know, as we're talking about what we're talking about, I mean, you can see we're excited about this. We're passionate about it. And I think that absolutely love about what you're doing, Doc, is that I've seen you, because I've seen from your post, and I know from the conversation we had, you go into the libraries, you are present, and you are making education, making STEAM come alive for these young people in your community. And that's something that we may not know exactly what that looks like until a much later date from now, when people are graduating from school and they're saying, because he read this book to me in the summer, that's why I ended up going into astrophysics. We have no idea, but um, you know, you put your seat upon the waters, it will return to you in due season. So I'm excited to see what this next generation looks like, because when I talk to them, they're on fire. <laughs> they're not waiting for somebody to change the world. They're like, we want to change the world. I'm like, all right, cool. That's all right. You know? <laughs> and you, you know what's funny about Mae Jameson talking about art, right? That A in STEAM. Mm -hmm. You know, I read in a, a children's book that she was inspired to be an astronaut because she watched Star Trek. I forgot the black lady's name oh, was Star Trek. Yeah. So she's, a, she's inspired by that woman. Wow. That's what made her want to be an astronaut. And the story goes is that the woman was about to quit Star Trek because of the different, you know, racial struggles on the set. Martin Luther King convinced her, he said, no, don't do it. Because somebody out there is looking at you and they are gonna be inspired. Mm -hmm. It's a book called May Amongst the Star, a children's book, where her teacher told her, you shouldn't dream to be an astronaut, be a nurse. And her mama in the book said, look, pursue your dreams. If you believe it, you can achieve it. And that is that, like all of those things all tied up together. You know, watching TV and as parents, we're like, hey, man, you better turn that TV off and watch it for like three hours now, you know, but not knowing that, you know, that could be inspirational because they see representation, it's cool. And then all of a sudden they see it in the book. They're like, right, I could do what Mae Jameson does. I could do what any, okay, let me try. And then when they get to your stage, when they're in college, they're like, all right, well, you know, I, already, I got the confidence. And sometimes I think the confidence is the most important thing. I mean, I could go on and on. Even Ron McNair, my son had, we have a book about Ron McNair and getting a library card. Won't go deep into it. But my son said, he looks just like me. And I'm like, yeah. And then when we tell him who Ron McNair is, he's like, I could be like that too. I'm like, yeah, you could be like that. You see, so it's, it's all of these different things. It's the art. It's the illustrations in the book. It's watching TV shows when they should be reading. <laughs> but it's all these things that kind of come together to make kids want to dream. Well, you both talked about, uh, you know, influencing. And I want to name drop one more person. And that's Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah, I have a real love for physics. I'm an engineer, you know, by day. But I, I, I really enjoy reading up and studying physics on my downtime. That's a guy that I look up to as a science communicator and, a, and an influencer. I mean, he, yeah. you know, he keeps me in love with physics, in love with the cosmos, learning about different things. And the whole reason actually why I'm doing this podcast is because I found that I want to be a science communicator, a STEAM communicator. I want, he influenced me. Now I want to, you know, learn as much as I can, grab a breadth of knowledge, and then someday be able to speak to children and about the importance of STEAM and why we should pursue it. Because everything that we do is an example to, you know, a young person in one way, shape or form. Uh, what we do, uh, you know, how, how we put our clothes on, how we walk around, you know, what we study, how we talk, everything matters. So um, that's a guy that positively influenced me and positively influenced millions of people, not in the United States, but across the world to pursue their dreams and achieve in sciences. So I, I truly love Dr. Tyson. Read a bunch of his books. He's a great guy. Uh, the only thing that, that a lot of people give him hate for is the whole Pluto fiasco. <laughs> Whether that's famous or infamous, yeah, right. he, he was the guy that sparked it. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, one, thing, one thing I love about him is he is unapologetically him. And, and I think that that's right. important as we start to, as we talk about, you know, celebrating our differences and inclusion and you know, people need to bring their whole selves to conversations. And, and I can say he, 
he definitely is unapologetically him, which is which is pretty fun to watch. <laughs> right, right. Oh yeah. Hey, also I want to name drop one more inventor if you don't mind. Do you know Frederick McKinley Jones by chance? So he was the inventor of the refrigerated truck. Hmm. Now you might not think that's like that crazy, especially in today's time, but I mean that was a huge step for humanity because well, and, and I also did more research on him. He actually had over 60 patents in his life. He was a foster child growing up. He was brought up by a priest. And then they didn't talk about much about his education. But after he came back from the military, he was really mechanically inclined and he learned to be an electrician. But then he started just going crazy with these patents in the movie industry, but specifically uh, in the refrigeration industry. With regards to the refrigerated truck, Frederick realized that there was a major problem in the shipping industry, and that was longevity. So he used his background to you know, decrease conduction or the transfer of heat over time of the shipping containers by adding an automatically operated cooling system to it. And you know, it might seem simplistic, but like just for an example, people in Massachusetts could you know, finally run out to their local markets and have a mango or an orange or an avocado where you couldn't do that. I mean, you couldn't get things from warmer climates to cooler climates in time before perishable food perished. So it was huge. I mean, and that's not a that's not a U.S. driven thing. That's a global thing. I just wanted to to give him a little bit of credit because he did a lot across the board. I, I really encourage people to to look up his story. That's awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of great stories out there. You know, whether you're you're looking at like what they had to face or what they've done, it's really cool. It's very inspiring. Even just someone outside of the picture, especially with what I look like and who I am, it's inspiring to look at these people that had to face everything and still come out on top in their situations. It makes me reflect on myself and say, you know, what am I doing day by day and what could I do better? So is there anyone else that you would like to share? There's this company, McKissack and McKissack. It's two companies, one in Washington, D.C. and one in New York City. And the story starts back five generations before. And there was this West African, Ashanti man, who was enslaved. And this is before the Civil War. He was enslaved. His name was Moses. And he took on the surname of his owner, McKissack. And he learned how to make bricks. And after he learned how to make bricks, he actually got his freedom. And this skill provided him the opportunity to train up others how to make bricks. And as he became a master carpenter, this paved the way for the next generation of his lineage to formalize this company, McKissack and McKissack in 1905, so a construction firm. And it's just an amazing, amazing story. Five generations later, these twins, twin black women, are CEOs of two different construction, co well, one, is a, um, one is, a, is a construction company, the other is an architectural and engineering company. And they have worked on some amazing, amazing projects, such as actually the King Memorial in D.C. That was done by McKissick and McKissick. And you start to see they're also doing one of the major terminals in, in New York City. And it's just wild because you can see that if you are resilient and if you are persistent in moving forward, that your decisions today can impact future generations. And it's just fascinating, fascinating. So yeah, so these women are they're CEOs in, in, like I said, the construction and in the engineering world. And that is a company name that if you're doing anything in like architecture, engineering, construction, you see McKissick and McKissick, like, oh yeah, that's, that's the real deal. But when you go back to 1905 to see how that started, it's just fascinating. I get chills just thinking about it, you know? It is crazy. Yeah, it's, it's important to realize that we are writing history with everything that we do, every decision we make. Well, okay, when we come back from this upcoming commercial, we will be discussing diversity in STEAM with respect to education, leadership, and careers. So stick around. Have you ever been standing in the shower looking at the ingredients on your shampoo bottle and noticed that water is always the first ingredient? Well, I have. After a little research, I discovered that shampoo is over 80% water, which is kind of like dumping bottled water on your head while you're standing in a shower. And that's why I'm excited that I found Seabar, a disposable plastic free hair care line that cleans up ocean trash with every purchase. Not only does Seabar pick up one pound of ocean trash for every item ordered, but their salon quality shampoo and conditioner concentrates come from refillable applicators, kind of like deodorant tubes. 
Just twist them up, rub it on over your hair a couple times, and then just lather it up like you normally would. My favorite part is how long they last. I've personally been using the same C-Bar for three months now and I've barely used any. So not only does it help save the environment, it's also effective, efficient, and most importantly, it saves me money. If you would like to try a better way to wash your hair, head on over to cbar.com and use our special code STEAM for 15% off your first order. Cbar, shampoo done right for you and the planet. Hey, my fellow listener. If you love what you are hearing, my team and I would greatly appreciate it if you threw us some spare change. You know, just so we can continue to make this show better and better for you. To do this, head to our website, everythingsteve.org, and click on the donate button in the top right corner, or go to our support us page. Whichever you choose works for us. If that's too much work, we totally get it. You can slide me some dough via Venmo, and my tag is at ProZoomStudent. Or conveniently, if you don't have Venmo, throw us some cash on the Cash App. Our tag for Cash App is at EverythingSteam. And at last resort, there's always a subscription option on our official Anchor.fm page. You can subscribe to us monthly for just merely 99 cents. Listen, any little bit helps. And just so you know, we are honored to serve you as your source for Steam information. So thank you for your continued support. And as always, stay curious. And we're back here for the last segment of Black History Month special. Please do us a favor and give us a rate on whatever podcast platform you utilize. It's much appreciated. And of course, it will help us in the fight against the algorithms. So now this segment is... A- Does it sound like some Matrix stuff right <laughs> Yeah, <there>? for real. <laughs> Get the algorithm. <laughs> so this segment is a bit of a mix of very important topics that we all felt were vital in addition to the celebration of Black History Month. Because every day, every second, as we said, every decision we make writes history. So let me speak for the people in STEAM fields for a second, because diversity is literally crucial in what we do, because STEAM paves the path for society to evolve for better or for worse. And if you think of it this way, if we don't have all parties represented on the projects that we are pursuing, some sectors of society won't reap the same benefits as others. Jared, would you like to add on to that about the importance of diversity in STEAM? Yeah. I would say that um, when we talk about problem solving, we're trying to get to a solution. And if everybody thinks about the problem the exact same way, we're probably not going to get to the best solution. (laughs) So I need people with different life experiences. I need people with different educational backgrounds. I need people that see the world differently. I need all of them together. The the more diversity and inclusion I have with that decision-making process, the better a solution I'm going to have. And as we start to talk about the communities that we serve, and we talk about the challenges that we have, the challenges that we have today are different from the challenges we had 10 years ago. So we have to think about things differently. And, you know, we have generational differences. We have, you know, racial and ethnic differences. We have differences in, in, in the way we each approach life. And if we're not incorporating more than just one type of thought, we're just not going to be the best. In most companies, most schools, most organizations pride themselves on being the best. You can't be the best if you don't have the best. I know we talked a great deal about bias in our Women in STEM episode. So I will try to save my breath on the, the neuroscience here. But if you want to know a little bit about that, you can check out that episode. But unconscious and conscious bias is something that all of us have witnessed. Unconscious bias in STEAM is pretty much when said type of person is left out of a final product by accident due to a lack of representation. And that's super prevalent. One good example of this is automatic hand washing and soap dispensing stations. We all talked about that offset. So the way that this works is by reflection. Infrared waves are shot in the direction of where your hands are placed under a faucet or I guess dispensing machine. And so when your hands are there, photons come down, they typically would reflect back up and into the sensor, activating the release of the water, soap, or what have you. The problem is, the darker you are, the more radiation you absorbed and don't reflect. So the success rate of activation for these stations decreases heavily if you are darker. Now, was this intentional? I'm going to go ahead and say no, but it would have been prevented 
in the design process if more diverse peoples were working on this. Essentially, it would have been flagged and changed because of the peer review process. That's huge in the sciences. Would either of you want to comment on that? When I think about unconscious bias, I think there's a necessity for people of color to be in the room so that they can bring those issues to the forefront. In many cases, people aren't exposed to certain groups of people. Therefore, you know, they do things and it's just normal. I give you an example. Uh, years ago, my youngest son, when he was about three years old, was in a classroom. Now, this is his first school experience. He was having difficulties. The teacher and about three adults in the room would walk around him, but they would gravitate to this young white girl who also was having a difficult time in school. And so I'm sitting in this booth because it was like a booth where we could see the kids, but the kids can't see us. And so afterwards, I, I had a conversation with his teacher and I'm just like, look, this is what I saw. And she was like, well, I'm not doing this because he's black or African-American. It's just that, you know, we just didn't know what to do. And I thought, and I said, look, I had to explain to her what silence means in the African-American community. You know, when you are silent, where Jared and I grew up, if I don't, if I see Jared walking down the street and Jared knows that I know him and I don't say anything, Jared's going to think, well, no Sakari, Dr. Griffinell, he don't like me. That's why he's not speaking to me. But if Jared also sees me talking to someone else, then Jared might say, wait, he definitely doesn't like me. So I had to explain this to the teacher. How it relates to, you know, STEM is, when we're not in conversation with each other, when we're not fellowshipping with each other, when we're not engaging each other, when we're at, you know, the kids' soccer matches or whatever, then we don't truly understand. And when you don't understand, you create things, you create situations that are based on a norm. And that can be extremely humanizing, you know? One of the things that, you know, what I grapple with within the literacy space is when we talk about achievement gaps between black and white students. And I always say, look, white students doing their thing, Asian students doing their thing. That's great. But we need to have a expectation and a ruler for what black kids should be learning. What does excellence look like for black children in their unique experience? And hence, why you hear the term equity versus equality come up in education. Equity is saying, give me what I need. You know, I grew up in Southwest. I got left down in seventh and ninth grade. What I needed was not what everybody else was getting throughout the school district of Philadelphia. I needed something in particular. So when we talk about inclusion, we need to have voices in the room but also those voices have to be in the room and have to have what we talked about offset, which was the authority. Because I could be in the room. I mean, in, as a leader in literacy in the city of Pittsburgh, I was constantly in the room, but I had no authority over how the landscape was being shaped. However, you have organizations that have done things for years that have not worked. Yet they are the voice of the space. They have the authority in the space. And so when you talk about, you know, how do you change these things? You give people authority to make decisions because when they are able to make decisions or they're in that decision-making process and things could look different. And that's where a mindset, we also have to address the concept of mindset, going back to what, what Jerry said earlier. There's a fix-it mindset. So you can have a bunch of people in the room that are physically, they look different, yet they have the same fix-it mindset and they act in similar ways. But if they have a growth mindset, if they have been exposed to different things, then that's a different ballgame. And I'll end this with, there's a educational philosopher by the name of John Dewey. He talked about experience versus education. He said, you know, someone can have 20 years experience and someone can have four years experience. And the question is, who has more experience? Well, most of us would say, look, the person with 20 years experience, of course, that is what Dewey would talk about is a fix-it mindset. He said, no, 
what determines more experience is how people construct meaning based upon what the years that they have had. So one person might have 20 years experience, but they might have done the same thing for 20 years versus a person who had an experience and they're like, wow, this is my first year doing X. I learned from this. Okay, second year, I'm going to do something a little different. And then third and so on and so on. So when we talk about people in the room who have authority, it should be people in the room who have authority or in the decision-making process that have a depth of experience, not a breadth of experience, if that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. And also the representation and with authority, you see that with the layout of highway systems. All three of us have talked about that at one point where if you don't have a representation and authority on, on the decision-making process, it doesn't benefit all sectors of life. I don't mean to beat up on Pittsburgh here or anything, but it's something that that's you know near and dear to us a little bit. And it's whenever they were putting in different highways here, they weren't considering where they were laying those highways. And that I guess that's for the greater United States highway systems. And what you do is if you don't have the authority on, on all sectors, you end up paving these roads, paving these highways and separating and segregating different factions of, of communities where they can't thrive the same way that others can. They don't have access. You create food deserts. You just lack business opportunities. You don't get the traffic through the community that you once were. Now it's all highway and nobody's moving through your town. So your town becomes desolate. Now, if you had more people in on the party, more authority that was spread out, probably wouldn't have happened. They could have rerouted in different ways, different things that could have benefited the communities that it ran through or ran beside. So it's important to have that authority, that leadership role with all people involved. One last thing I want to say is that I also look at this on an evolutionary perspective with the science background. Sure, people are homo sapiens and we have similar descendants and are part of the hominids that have been evolving for about 4 million years now. But humans moved all over the globe in that time frame, creating sub-factions that lived in warmer climates, some in cooler climates, that faced different hardships. And because we understand the process of evolution, we know that these sub-factions adapted in different ways to tackle their past situations. So yes, some humans talk differently than others. Some have slightly different bone structures. Some come in different sizes. Some have different tones of skin to adjust to their settings. So in a global reality where we reside in today, we have to take those differences into account so everyone can reap the benefits that STEAM can offer. And by doing that, we also need to give them leadership representation. Would you like to add on to that? No, I would just say that, um, you know, everybody brings something to the table. And, um, you know, if everybody is given the opportunity, we can come up with some really beautiful solutions. But um, until then, if we feel that that's not happening, every one of us has the opportunity to be an ally. Every one of us has an opportunity to make a difference for someone in the room or someone that's not in the room. So I think that we should really look inwardly to see what are we doing to make our spaces more inclusive? What are we doing to make our spaces more equitable? What are we doing to make our spaces better? If you're not sure what the answer is, there's a lot of scholarship out there. You don't even have to read the books now. There's a lot of folks that, are, that have videos. There's a lot of, like I said, TED Talks earlier, but just take a moment to consider what life is like in the shoes of someone else and see what you could do to make it better. I agree. The second to last thing I want to cover is that there are a bunch of organizations that, that you could be a part of that will help you stay focused on your goals and open up new possibilities for you to unlock your potential. Also, just meeting other individuals that are in your shoes or have walked in your shoes that you can relate to on your journey. And for engineers, I'm not sure if you're a member in this, Jared, but there is the NSBE, the National Society of Black Engineers. One of my best friends is a member of NSB. I don't know if you'd like to you know, add on or speak on their behalf. Sure. Yeah. The National Society of Black Engineers is a, an organization that was founded in 1970 by um, six individuals from Purdue. And 
I remember, shucks, when I was at Syracuse, I was a part of Nesby, and it opened my eyes, right, to see black engineers just doing amazing things. You go to these career fairs, all the different professional development, and I think that the leadership roles that I had in Nesby really did position me for what it was going to be like working and, you know, doing engineering, but also living a life outside. And actually, last night I was a part of a program that Nesby was doing. We were just talking about the PE, professional engineering licensing, what the process looks like, why you should want to get a, a license. And if you do, how do you do it? And just talking with uh, the young people and just, you know, it's almost like extended mentoring. And, you know, people poured into me through Nesby when I was kind of growing up as a young engineer and I try to see how I can give back. So definitely great organization that seeks to uh, increase the number of culturally responsible black engineers that excel academically, to seek professionally and positively impact the community. That's the mission statement. And that's something that has definitely been near and dear to my heart growing up as an engineer. Yeah. Just understanding that leadership is super important and also like having someone to look up to not only to look up to, to understand that they've walked where you're planning to walk, but also as a goal, you know, seeing you, Jared, you know, as, you know, how you built your rapport throughout the years, being a young engineer, being in college, you're somebody that, you know, they can, they can set a standard and say, I want to achieve that. I want to be that person. And that's, that's another thing in the face of, of different biases that you'll encounter proves tried and true that, that it will push you through your journey. Change the narrative. <laughs> That's right. I would also like to point out mine and uh, Nosakari's alma mater, the University of Pittsburgh's Office of Equity, Diversity and Inclusion. They do a really great job with their initiatives in terms of going to different seminars and hosting talks, community involvement within the community at large and also within Pitt, setting up a hotline for people who need it and, and, and much more. My father-in-law is the Dean of Diversity in the Swanson School of Engineering. And so if he was here, he would go on and on and on about Nesby too. <laughs> in fact, in fact, my father-in-law, the representation and all of that, those good things and making them fun. He inspired, you know, my oldest boy to be an engineer too. You know, he literally, it was a year ago now, he came over and we did like these bridges out of toilet paper, cones and what, rope and popsicle sticks. So he's extremely inspirational within that context. And I, and I also, from department at the University of Pittsburgh, which is Africana Studies, that was a department founded to be community oriented. You know, some of the early professors, Dennis Brutus, who was a South African poet, who was a professor and he was exiled from South Africa, yet he was a poet and a professor at the University of Pittsburgh. Rob Penny, who was a playwright. You might have heard of August Wilson. Uh, Rob Penny was August Wilson's friend. Jerome Taylor, Dr. Jerome Taylor, who does work in education. These professors dedicated their life, not just to diversity and inclusion, but going back to what I talked about earlier, they dedicated their life to showing how Black people engaged in the world to make the world a better place. And that department is currently chaired by uh, Dr. Yolanda Covington Ward, who is an amazing scholar too. So that department was founded, I want to say, in the 60s and 70s, based upon how they could reach out to the community and how the community can come into an academic space, learn, but it be a mutual exchange of knowledge. But beyond that, trying to figure out how we make the Black community in the world a better place. So that department predates the Office of Diversity and Inclusion. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, the last thing I wanted to tackle here before we go is getting both of your thoughts on the future and some advice to people out there who are thinking of pursuing STEAM or already submersed in STEAM. It's completely open, but I want to get your thoughts. Jared, would you like to go first? Sure. I would say that there is a lot of space for you here. <laughs> you know, when I talk to other business owners and, you know, we, we can't hire people fast enough. You, you could look at infrastructure, you could look at cybersecurity, you could look at just about any aspect of society. You can see that there are so many opportunities for people that are in STEAM. You know, we talk about the NFTs and cryptocurrency and uh, 
in the meta, right? I'm an engineer and I don't really understand all of it right now, but there's a lot of opportunity out there for just about everybody that's tied to science, technology, engineering, art, and mathematics. So if you have an interest in any of those, uh, even if it's on the outskirts of the periphery, talk to somebody, look out for somebody that is doing that. When I said look out, I mean, go online, Google people, right? And see what it is, what a day in the life of that type of individual looks like, and then see what you can do to get connected in. And most people are looking for opportunities to give back. So if you see something you like, whether it's a coding class or a uh, art seminar or something like that, you know, reach out to your teachers, reach out to your parents, reach out to family members to see how can you get plugged in. Because the reality is that the challenges of tomorrow are going to be solved by uh, the young people of today. And we have to make sure that we're pouring into them Otherwise, we're going to be in trouble as a society and a world. So, so that's what I would say. There's, there's space for you. Come on over, you know? Agreed. I like that. I, I would build upon what Jared is saying. If you, which is what I used to always tell students in general, whatever you want to be when you grow up, read a book, one. But beyond reading the book, because, you know, I got a bunch of reference guides about what it means to be an engineer, what it means to code and all these things for the boys, because they both want to go and enter. They both want to enter into the STEM careers. However, it's important that you read the biographies, because when you read it, a biography about a STEM hero, it's a totally different ballgame. So, you know, many black STEM heroes went through racism, but. They also went through the different trials and tribulations, like Lonnie Johnson, who was a NASA engineer who created the super soaker, you know? He took a test, and they don't give these tests out, hopefully, anymore, but he took a test, and I think the test said he shouldn't be an engineer. And he might have gotten low math scores, low writing scores, or whatever. But that didn't deter Lonnie Johnson, just like it didn't deter my good brother Jared when the teacher said, hey, man, you know, this ain't for you. You know, I had a similar story. I won't go into it, but I had a similar story. It shows you, one, the barriers that they had to either climb over, go around, or dig a hole under to get to the other side of the path that will lead them down the road to their dream. So read biographies so that you can understand the barriers. Also read biographies so that you can get the inspiration. Like every time my son says he wants to be an engineer, I pull out Lonnie Johnson, you know, so that he can see, wow, I could be a, a civil engineer. I could be a mechanical engineer like these people. It becomes inspirational. And then the last reason why you should read a biography about a STEM hero is so that you can understand that they are normal people, too. Like Jared got it. Look, Jared got to go to the market and get some food, too. You know what I'm saying? Jared exactly. Jared, but it becomes a thing of, you know, we talk about representation. It's just not representation as in doing big, like I said earlier. It's like representation, like you're a normal person, you know? When I was in grad school, I had some friends come over to the house. You know, when my friends on Pitt campus, they would see me in a library. I would be talking in front of the library. In fact, that's how I met my wife, but that's a long, long story, (laughs) you know? I would be reading, reading, reading. So they come into my apartment. They're like, you watch The Godfather? You know, I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you got a PlayStation? I'm like, yeah, you should have told me, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, don't be telling everybody I got no PlayStation. They ain't going to take me serious when, I, when I'm talking about reading. They're going to be like, man, whatever, whatever, whatever. I was like, but, you know, I'm a normal person, you know? And so, you know, you read a biography. They probably won't say that in the biography because, you know, many biographies say, I was great since I was born. I came out of my mother's womb reading. No. <laughs> But some biographies, they might keep it 100 with you and say, look, man, look, on my free time, you know, I like to draw. I like to paint. So I think biography, let kids know that you just don't have to be extraordinary. You could be very normal. You can jump over barriers. And beyond all of that, you can do similar things like I'm doing. So that's why they should read biographies so that when they meet a person like Jared, they're like, you know, I read this autobiography uh, about Mae Jameson. that's my hero too did you read this part you know it fills the gap you know like when jared talked about may stevens i'm like i read a book about may jameson when we have another uh, conversation or not (laughs) in lack of better words it's a connecting piece and so reading biographies autobiographies are always great tools to help you not just imagine your dream but reimagine it based upon other people's experiences 
Well, gentlemen, thank you both so much for being on the show. I appreciate both of you joining for such short notice also and having this chat with me. You know, let's keep making the world a better place for everybody. So thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Word up. All right. Take it easy. That is all for this special episode in celebration of Black History Month. Now I'd like to give a big shout out to my guest stars, Jared and Nosakari, for sharing their knowledge and vast expertise. I would also love to mention my amazing team for their collective efforts to make the show happen. As I mentioned before in the episode, please do us a favor and give us some feedback by filling out the community poll wherever you get your podcast from. Or heck, even send us an email or DM us your thoughts on what you've learned. We're always looking to engage with our followers and get some feedback. If you are aspiring to be a geotechnical engineer or if you are unsure about what civil engineering sector you would like to pursue, please check out the Geotechnical Podcast, co-hosted by Jared Green. If you are a parent and want Dr. Nosakari Griffin's help, please check out the Dreamocracy Learning Lab. They specialize in literacy initiatives for young individuals so that they may excel in society. And who could forget? Let me give a big shout out to the University of Pittsburgh, but more specifically, my Swanson School of Engineering, the Africana Studies Department, and the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for their community involvement to make STEAM a more inclusive environment for everyone to succeed. Lastly, after this episode, give our podcast a rating and review on whatever platform you get your podcasts on. We're always looking for feedback, and the rating would greatly help us out in the fight against the algorithms. Once again, thank you all for listening to Everything Steam. I'm your host, Sam Stanford. And as always, stay curious. Everything Steam would like to give a shout out to Anchor by Spotify for sponsoring our podcast along with Ben Cell Music for providing our show with intro, outro, and advertising background rhythm.